Thanks, James. I feel um, incredibly honoured to have the opportunity to speak this morning. So, um, firstly, kia ora koutou katoa. Um, so, my name is Dave Huff, spelt H-O-U-G-H, but pronounced Huff as in rough, tough and enough. Um, <laughs> and we found out recently that it was a surname that was um, picked up along the way by my adopted family grandfather, we um, just discovered that somewhere along the lines he decided, I'm going to change my surname. And that, why, why would you pick what he picked? But anyway, so, cool. So, so um, the working title for my message this morning, or well, our message hopefully, is Back to the Future. And there's no DeLorean. There's no hoverboard. There's um, no lightning and clock towers. <laughs> Don't mention clock towers. Um, and there's potentially a doctor, because we will look at Luke's passage in relation to what we're focused on this morning is communion and the bride of Christ. So we've, recently we've been following a series as a church that's been looking at us as the bride of Christ, Christ being the groom, and our response to him as the bride, in various aspects of our our walk and our life. Uh, so this morning it's communion. But a little bit about myself, uh, just so you know maybe who I am and some of my background, because this is other than Lynn and I sharing communion and talking about board games uh, the last time we were up the front here. <laughs> this is the first time I've, I've um, spoken, and so some of you are probably wondering, who is this guy? <laughs> so I grew up in Wellington and a few years ago uh, in Hatai and attended All Saints Anglican Church for a number of years. In fact, the grandfather I mentioned, the stained glass windows in the old, now um, earthquake risk building with his name on it. Um, which, so it was our family church. But I grew up that I've, I can't remember not knowing Jesus, almost. But I do remember seasons in my life where I've kind of just left him on the shelf or not purposely, or, or probably purposely, but, but not denying that he existed, but living almost in ignorance of the reality of his existence. So there's been a few seasons like that in my life, but thank you, thankfully he's never ignored me. He's never given up on me. He's always been looking out for me like that prodigal father, looking out for the son returning. And, and he's the one who races after and, and grabs us and draws us in, wants to embrace us and put a ring on, his, on our finger and put a robe on us, and, uh, which is significant to what I'm talking about this morning. So life uh, along the journey took me to Otago University where I studied physical education um, which I'm doing nothing to do with now. I now manage an office for, in short, ICHC. It stands for the Interchurch Council for Hospital Chaplaincy. So I manage the national office for them. It's basically an administrative role, and my, and, but I get to um, work with the regional managers around the country and uh, have some pastoral opportunity uh, dealing with them as they pastor the chaplains in the hospitals throughout New Zealand. So, um, yeah, it's, a, it's an awesome job. So I studied phys ed at Otago, and in my penultimate year of study, um, well, at the end of my penultimate year, 
I uh, was looking for a flat for the next year and moved into a flat which effectively um, introduced me to my now wife of 31 years, Lynn. And uh, we used to joke, because you know, we, we could say that I moved into her room. <laughs> Which doesn't go down well in church circles, so if you want to kind of stir people, <laughs> which is what students do, <laughs> we used to say that, that I, I moved into Lynn's room, that's how we met each other. But she moved out of that room the year before I moved into it, you probably figured that out by now. And, uh, but along the journey, um, and we've been now married 31 years, but we were engaged twice twice to each other. I think Lynn took the advice that builders take, measure twice, <laughs> cut once. <laughs> and uh, that was some of the reality because Lynn was concerned that we weren't necessarily equally yoked to the Lord first. And that was part of the reason of her saying, look, we need to call off this engagement. Um, and through the time between that engagement and the next one, God, it was like God got hold of me by the scruff of the neck and, uh, and I ended up going to Bible college and then reconnected with Lynn and then we got married and, re- and settled here in Wellington, had five years here and then headed south um, for ministry opportunities uh, to Christchurch and the rest is years of history. Um, started with an attraction, an attraction that um, led to us wanting to spend more and more time with each other and less time apart and engaged, married, two children, now growing up children. Um, We have a son and a daughter and our daughter has produced our first grandchild uh, back in August last year. So so life uh, life is an exciting stage. But this morning, I don't want to focus on our love story. (laughs) I want to focus on another love story, that of Jesus and his bride, the church, us. And I'm just going to pause for a moment and just ask the Holy Spirit to just minister. Holy Spirit, you are the precious gift that Christ, our groom, presented us with and I ask that you have your way this morning in each of our hearts but in our collective corporate life as Capital Vineyard. Let Jesus be glorified in and through us. The first communion meal was introduced as part of the Passover. We sang this morning about you split the sea that I might walk right through it, which is related to that initial Passover when God delivered his nation, Israel, from bondage and slavery in Egypt. And following that, delivered them as he parted the sea and let them escape that slavery all the more. But as we uh, focus on what Jesus introduced at that Passover meal that he shared with his apostles, I just want to read a few, um, a few different passages 
around that and hopefully this will work. Here we go. So Luke's passage says, When the hour came, in Luke twenty two fourteen, When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. See, unlike the masterpiece where it shows them all lined up along the back of one table with Jesus in the middle, it was actually a table that they reclined around and they were lying on their sides with their feet pointed away from the table, on, resting most likely on their left arm and, and using their right hand to reach for the cups and the bread and the, the other aspects of the meal. So they were really close and intimate. So when it talks about John and his gospel, him you know, leaning in and whispering between him and Jesus, that was kind of how it was. Uh, very, very intimate. So when the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table and he said to them, and I've highlighted it here, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat of it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, I'm sorry, I don't have that up here, and it says, take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Another passage in Matthew says, While they were eating, Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup gave thanks and offered it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this fruit of the vine from now on until that day when I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. See, Jesus will drink again at the wedding feast when he receives his bride at the wedding of the lamb that's when he'll drink this cup again and then Mark's gospel Mark 14 verses 22 following while they were eating Jesus took bread gave thanks and broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying take it, take it this is my body when he took the cup, gave thanks and offered it, sorry, he gave thanks and offered it to them, and they all drank from it. They all drank from it. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Not just the apostles gathered there on that day, for many, for you and for me and for effectively all of humanity. He says, I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it anew. In the kingdom. I want to focus particularly on Luke's account. Jesus says 
And some translations say, I desire that I've desired that I might eat from, that it, this Passover with you. But this, this translation, the, um, I think I've got the New King James here, says, I have eagerly desired, this is Jesus, has eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. He mentions his suffering that he's about to go through, and the, the apostles are probably wondering what's going on. But he says, I've eagerly desired, I've really been looking forward to, longing for this occasion. And I, I think through the research and the digging that I've done, that there's a couple of things that Jesus was really looking forward to. And in a sense, he may have been looking forward to the fact that he was going to suffer on our behalf. But we know that he had an internal struggle with, with some of that. Not far off having this meal together. But I think he was eagerly desiring to see the ultimate fulfilment of the Passover. A reenactment, if you like, of the shadow or the type that the original Passover was focused on, of the deliverance of the nation of Israel out of bondage and slavery in Egypt to the freedom and the pathway into their promised land. Jesus was perhaps looking forward eagerly to sharing the symbolism of this meal, knowing that he was about to fulfill its ultimate act when he died on the cross on our behalf and shed his blood and, broke, and had its body broken for us. He was eagerly desiring that. But there's something that I've uncovered in this event that I think is perhaps even more significant to what he was eagerly desiring. I think it relates to his pursuit of a love that he had been pursuing and enduring since before creation. I realise as I was sitting here before, um, and by the way, don't turn up too early to church because I put my Bible on the end of the third row there this morning and James turns up and rearranges all the seats and I find that I've moved forward a row. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good <laughs> Got promoted. But I realised as I was sitting in the second row, not the third row, that, <laughs> that in throwing this PowerPoint presentation quickly together, because it was thrown very quickly together, so it's no high-tech thing, it was just put together this morning on... on um, Google, whatever it is that Google has. <laughs> and I realised one of my key verses is not in this PowerPoint. So. so I'll read it to you. It's Ephesians 1 verse 4. And if you're taking notes, underline this verse. See, Jesus' desire to eagerly participate in this meal with his apostles, I think, relates to his passion that he's been pursuing since before creation. Ephesians 1 verse 4 says... For he chose us in him, in Christ, before the creation of the world. Did you know that you were chosen before God said, let there be light? You were chosen. He chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
How many here are married or have been? Yeah, a reasonable number of us. How many men here that are married? Okay. Think back to that time when you were standing at the end of the aisle or fidgeting and, you know, and anxiously awaiting your bride, who was probably, you know, a little bit late. <laughs> and you were waiting and then you turned and you saw her walking towards you. And for the brides... Many of you dressed in white, looking as glorious as you ever have in your life. That's how Jesus sees us. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. I'm going to take a little bit of a sideways step. We have two children, as I mentioned before, um, a son and a daughter, and I have a, we both have this amazing relationship with both of our kids. Uh, they're adults now, of course, and uh, over the years, our daughter, Leah, would, you know, she'd say to me like a daughter says to her father, I love you, Dad, or I love you, and, and I picked up this thing over time that how many dads like to kind of just Gently tease their daughters. No one else does that, do they? Just me. Yeah. Yeah. No, no. yeah. So I picked up this thought of a response back to her saying, I love you, Dad. And I'd say, I loved you first. Because <laughs> I had this unfair advantage of... I loved her while she was a thought in our minds of having another child. I loved her then. I loved her when we heard of the reality of her conception. I loved her while she was in the womb and God was knitting her together to, to come and enter into this world. And uh, so I joke with her and I say, I loved you first. But I think God holds the last laugh on that one. Because <laughs> he loves and loved us first. When Jesus broke the bread with his apostles and offered it to them, he offered them the cup along with the bread. And what I've uncovered is that this is equal to an act of betrothal. So the, the Jewish um, marriage process involved a, a betrothal, not an engagement. So, I mean, Lynn and I, as we said, were engaged twice. But if we'd been betrothed, we would have needed a divorce the first time to break off that engagement. It's that significant as a betrothal. So, in a betrothal, James mentioned some of this last week, there's the betrothal, then there's the preparation, and then there's the wedding. There's a contract agreed between the two fathers and, and lined up and signed and documented. There's a bride price. 
that's agreed to pay, which in essence was to pay the bride's father for the loss from their family, the potential income, loss of the potential income and, and the costs associated with the daughter leaving the family. That's kind of unusual. But <laughs> and there was a gift that the groom would present to the bride. And as he came to his potential bride as a potential groom, he would present her with the contract, present her with the bride price. And part of that process, they would break bread together. And then he would offer her a cup. Because he also brought along not only the contract and not only the price and a gift, but he brought a skin of wine. And from that skin of wine, he would pour a cup. And in asking if she would be betrothed to him and become his wife, he would offer her to drink from the cup. And my understanding from what I've read and, and uh, looked in a number of sources, because when I first read it, I thought, oh, this sounds too good to be true. If she drank from the cup, that was saying, I do. That was the, not the equivalent of saying, yes, I'll marry you. It was saying, you know, it's sort of, yes, I'll marry you and we're in, we'll come into an engagement and there'll be a time where we work it out as to when the wedding's going to be and so on. But this, no, this was, this was sealing the deal right there and then and saying, as I drink, this is, I'm saying, Yes to you, I do. We are now effectively legally married. And from what I read, I think the disciples, the apostles that gathered at that table might have, may or may not have grasped what Jesus was actually doing there. And he says in these, some of these verses, the cup is offered for all. So this was, yes, a symbolism of the enactment of the Passover, but it was more than that. It was an invitation to become the bride of Christ. And after the acceptance of the proposal, the groom traditionally would then, as James mentioned last Sunday, go back to his father's house and prepare a room in his father's house, a bridal chamber for the wedding. What else has Jesus said about this? <laughs> for I must go to my father's house to prepare a room for you. And the groom himself didn't know when the wedding would happen. And it was usually the betrothal took at least nine months for certain practical reasons. <laughs> Checking that the bride was faithful. <laughs> and likely a year before the wedding. And the groom didn't know when that wedding was going to take place. It was only his father that knew the time. It was the father who determined or judged when the son is ready and maybe when the bride is ready, but he announced, yes, it's now time. If 
for you to go and receive your bride. And for those of us that have walked with Christ for a number of years, we pick up the symbolism of that, that Jesus said we don't know the day or the hour when he's returning. Only the Father in heaven knows. All relating to us being the bride. And in the, the time after the betrothal, the groom, sorry, the bride, what would she do? Any thoughts? Get a dress? Yep, absolutely. A white dress. <laughs> what else might she do? Lose weight. Lose weight. <laughs> 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 to fit the dress that she's just made that she doesn't yet fit into, yes. Yeah. <laughs> okay, she'd get ready in other ways as well. And because she didn't know when her groom was going to come for her, typically it would be in the middle of the night. So she needed a lamp. A lamp that she needed to keep primed with oil so it was good to go. And some... some um, Commentaries suggest that she would keep the, the lamp in the window so that everyone knew she was ready, including the word getting back to her groom. And she would learn all that was necessary for married life and having a family. Now, these things are significant because who are we? We're the bride. And what time are we in? We're in a time of preparation, being ready for the returning groom. But we don't know that day or that hour. And so we should be like the bride and... Yep, prepare a dress. Sorry, guys, that sounds a bit weird, doesn't it? <laughs> Thankfully, Jesus clothes us in his righteousness. We should be priming our lamp. What does that speak of? Holy Spirit. Absolutely. Anything else? Pardon? Our testimony. Our testimony, yep. Yes, the bride would be, I mean, she would be gushing over her future husband. So what are we speaking? Who's our focus? So for us to keep our lamp primed, maybe praying, washing ourselves in the water of his word, coming to the table, participating as part of the body of Christ, um, learning about what life in his house, in his kingdom, is really all about, so that we can be comfortable in his ways 
and be found ready. Unlike the uh, foolish virgins in the parable that Jesus told, uh, sorry, I've gone off my notes a little bit, in Matthew 25, where there's 10 virgins all awaiting for the, the wedding, and five of them keep their lamps primed with oil and ready to go, and five of them just neglect. And when the announcement comes that the groom is coming, the five who are already ready, they're, they're all good. But the other five then ask, oh, can, can I have some oil? And it's, but it's too late. And we don't want to be like those. We want to be ready. The first communion was a proposal for marriage. Jesus invited all who would receive to become one with him and receive the cup of his wine to participate in his body and his blood by joining his church and becoming his bride. We've been presented with a sacrament, one of two sacraments. The other one is baptism. Both sacraments are focused around death and resurrection. The sacrament where we get to enact our participation in his body and in his blood. A demonstration of our unity in him, a reminder of his death and all that it's purchased for us, that through his death the church was born. See, Jesus' side was pierced and water and blood flowed out, which signified that he was actually dead at that point. Water and blood flowed out, that signified also the birth of the church of Christ, his his bride. In a similar way, in the first Adam was put into a deep sleep and from his side, from close to his heart, was taken Eve, the first bride. So too with the second Adam, his side was pierced and close to his heart. Some, someone was taken from him, his bride, us, the church. Communion's a reminder of his promise that he will return. And he's going to return for us to celebrate together with him at the wedding of the Lamb. Revelation says in 19 verses 6 following, it says in verse 7, For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. That's what we look forward to. So we, we look back on his death and remember the fullness of what it meant. It meant the launching of his church. It meant the freedom from slavery and bondage to sin. It meant the end of death. It meant that, we can, that he's preparing a place for us in his father's house, in his kingdom. It meant that there's a promise that he's coming back for us as his, as his bride and he's going to welcome us to his father's house in that sense. Communion is a back to the future event. We look back like looking in a rear vision mirror and we, we watch out for those things that might impact us from the past but we look forward to something even greater. We're reminded that we're in a season of consecration and preparation for life in his kingdom. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 11, 
two and three, and I'm not sure if I've got this. I don't think I have. No. Okay. That's fine. We'll leave it at that there. Um, so Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 11, 2 and 3, that he was concerned for the church in Corinth. He was concerned that their minds might be led astray from sincere and pure devotion. And I'm sure he would write to us or to the the Christians of our time and perhaps share a similar concern that we would remain sincere, that our devotion would be pure and focused on Christ. So communion reminds us of our need for purity. A bit like an engagement ring reminds the bride-to-be that there's this event coming of a wedding. Communion is a bit like a save-the-date entry in our diary that Jesus is coming back. It's a reminder that we are his body as we break the bread and covenant with him, a covenant that was sealed by his blood. In recent weeks, New Zealand has been um, transfixed with a cup. (laughs) Some years ago, um, Peter Montgomery made these words that have become infamous, that the America's Cup has now become New Zealand's Cup. (laughs) And this last week, it's been repeated that the America's Cup is still New Zealand's Cup. What about... The Lord Jesus cup. Is it our cup? Is it your cup? Is it still our cup? Is it still your cup? Do we live in his victory and proclaim the reality of his resurrection and his return? That's what communion can remind us of. Ephesians 1 verse 4. He chose us. He chose you to be blameless in his sight. It's the work of his body. It's the work of his blood. And we're going to receive that fresh reminder this morning as we break bread and drink from that cup. Once again, proclaiming his death, remembering his death, and looking forward to his return. So we'd like to invite you this morning to come to the table. Gluten-free bread is on this side. And as you come, as you receive the bread symbolising his body broken for us, that we who are many are part of one, as you take the cup and receive it afresh, let it be like we're receiving it for the first time, accepting his offer of betrothal even if it's accepting it yet again, that we do so remembering that he's coming as our bridegroom. So please come and um, we'll hold together and then we'll eat and drink together.